We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Welcome to Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. This is the place to talk about your pets and get advice with a top veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in NYC. Hear from the leading authorities on animals and give us a call to ask your questions. Now, here's your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. Hi, everyone. So glad that you could join me today on Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. I'm your host this month and every month for Ask the Vet. I'm Dr. Ann Hohenhaus, a board-certified specialist in internal medicine and oncology at the Animal Medical Center here in New York City. It's the largest not-for-profit animal hospital in the world. Our Ask the Vet program is now available as a podcast. It's a partnership between Sirius XM and the Animal Medical Center. And you can find Ask the Vet on any podcast platform where you download your podcasts, or you can go directly to our website, www.amcny.org, and put Ask the Vet in the search bar, and it will take you where you can download the podcast. At the Animal Medical Center, we keep families together by providing the absolute best care for pets to prolong their healthy days. The Animal Medical Center's interactive 2020 Year of Comprehensive Care report is packed with original research about new pet ownership during the pandemic and the healthcare heroes at AMC who cared for them. Some of our staff was actually in the Healthcare Heroes Parade yesterday in New York City. I hope you'll take a moment to look through the year of comprehensive care, and you can find it on our website and just put in YOCC-2020. Now, later in the show, I'm going to take questions from callers. So if you have a question you want me to answer on next month's show, you can call our Ask the Vet voicemail and leave a message, and next month we'll answer your question. To leave a message, the number is 866-993-8267. And if you don't have a pen or pencil to write it down right now, don't worry, I'm going to give it again later on in the show. Let's jump right in with our trending animal story of the month. It's time for the Internet's most talked about animal. In Rochester, New York, in April of this year, a sweet baby snow leopard cub was born at the Rochester Seneca Park Zoo. Now the little fella is 11 weeks old and this chubby cub is nameless. At birth, the cub weighed one pound and it appeared that the mother leopard was a five-year-old named Tamilla was caring for her cub well. But within hours, the animal care staff realized that she wasn't taking good care of this baby and they intervened to take over the cub's care. Several weeks later, the little fella got a respiratory infection, but the good news is that today the cub is doing great. The animal care staff at the Seneca Park Zoo is hand raising the cub to ensure his survival and also provide the appropriate socialization skills for this little motherless guy. They're teaching him all the skills he will need to be a successful snow leopard. County residents were invited to submit ideas for the cub's name until late June. And in the next step, 
the five most popular names will be put to a vote on the zoo's website and at the exhibit in the zoo. This cub has its own snow leopard kitten cam or cub cam, and it streams live video 24 seven from his den. I've actually watched it. And it's incredible that even though he is not a domestic cat, it's clear that he's a snow leopard. He behaves just like the kittens that I have here in my office with me today. He's got a like round furry bed that he likes to sleep in. And he's got all kinds of toys strewn all over the floor that he likes to play with. And even a stuffed animal that he snuggles up to. If you want to watch the Seneca Park Zoo Cub Cam, then just Google and put in Seneca Park Zoo Cub Cam, and you'll be able to watch this little guy live. I am especially delighted to welcome today's special guest to Ask the Vet here on SiriusXM Stars. It's my colleague and friend, Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, who is the Chief Professional Veterinary Officer at Hills Pet Nutrition in the United States. Ooh, what a title. And not only is that, but he is a double doctor holding both a DVM and a PhD. Um, so Dr. Kruppenstein and I are both members of a new group called WOW, which I really like that acronym. It stands for the World Small Animal Veterinary Association or WSAVA uh, Oncology Working Group. So WSAVA Oncology Working Group is where WOW comes from. And this is a group of veterinary oncologists from around the world. And it's not all people who do medical oncology like me, but there are a couple of surgical oncologists and we've got people on one, two, three, four, five continents, I think, um, that are in this group. And WOW is, I, I really think it's an important group and I am so convinced that the mission is really good. It's to overcome the asymmetric degrees of regional veterinary oncology development, resource limitations, both financial and human, and active communication based on both language and cultural nuance. So this group has a big mission. Um, Dr. Kirpenstein, is the past president of the World Small Animal Veterinary Association and is also past president of the Surgical Oncology Group. Um, he is a um, board certified surgeon in both the American and European colleges of veterinary surgery. And he's got this huge list of reviewed, peer reviewed articles and has given more than 250 lectures worldwide. I actually think that's an underestimation. Do you think that's right, Yola? Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I, you're everywhere all the time. Um, he's got a terrific bio, but I think it's more fun to talk to him. So Yola, I'm so glad you could join me today on Ask the Vet, and thanks for taking time in your busy schedule. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. So uh, I've always dreamed about this. So this is my moment of truth. Here and here it comes. <laughs> so Yola and I are have known each other professionally for a really long time, and um, but I can't remember when. I, and I was thinking, thinking, thinking. Do you know when when we met? Because I don't remember like a "Hi, how are you?" handshake kind of thing. <laughs> So that's really funny because, you know, I am really bad with dates in general. And then uh, remembering dates when I meet people, I, I know people by face and I know that I know them, but 
where and when is, is often blurred. But I think we met in Amsterdam. And I think we met during the Dutch Venere Conference, which is, uh, has a very difficult name in Dutch, which is Voorjaarsdagen. And that means spring days. So it's a, a congress in the spring in Holland. And I think we met there. Um, and both you and your husband were invited to give lectures. And I remember a canal tour. So that's something that, you know, that's, I think, where it all started a long time ago. I, I, I think so, too. So I never knew what... I can't say it quite as well as you can for Stagen Mint, um, but you get to go to Holland in the spring and you get to go um, to uh, ooh, the place with the tulips. Yes, Kukhoff. it's the Kokenhof. And um, yes. I had a very embarrassing moment at that meeting because my son was with us. And at that time he was, I don't know, four or five. And he, he said, I'm hungry. And he and I were walking around Amsterdam. So there was a cheese shop. <laughs> and so I said, oh, in the U.S., a cheese shop would sell cheese sandwiches. So maybe I can go in and get the kid a cheese sandwich and then he'll stop complaining that he's hungry. So we go in the cheese shop and yes, the ladies would make him a sandwich. And then, oh, I, I was so embarrassed. He, they say to him, what kind of cheese would you like? And he says, American. Oh, oh, it was awful. I was like, it's not really even cheese. So that, that was like really a, a bad moment in Amsterdam. I was so embarrassed, but they, they, they were very kind. And they said, well, we'll make him a sandwich with baby cheese. I don't know what baby cheese is, but he, he like snarfed it all down and, and all was well in Amsterdam. But um, it, it was a, a bit embarrassing to have someone ask for American cheese in the capital of cheese, Amsterdam. Yeah, baby cheese is very young cheese, so it doesn't have a very distinct taste. So if you have the older cheeses, I mean, they, they get more distinct. But that's, uh, I think they've made a very clever choice. Yeah, well, did, do they get more distinct or more stinky? No, no. Uh, Dutch cheeses normally don't stink. So it's more distinct. It's more salty. It's, uh, you know, if you have the, the, the cheese that have ripened for a long time, it, 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 the taste gets better and better. But they don't ah, stink. It's okay. not like the French, the Belgian cheeses that have a very strong odor. Uh, okay. All right. So I stand corrected on the cheese situation <laughs> yeah. here. Um, Always so, happy to help you out with yeah, that kind exactly. of stuff. No? Exactly. Well, that, the, that is a lovely meeting. And I actually think that was a combo meeting, a combo meeting between uh, WSAVA and the Dutch Group. Yes. Um, yeah, it was uh, as a matter of fact, WSAVA, so the World Small and Veterinary Association, the European organization, and the Dutch. So there were three. It, it was a triple meeting together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was a. It was a very good meeting, and and of course, Amsterdam is a wonderful place to go. The the tulips were spectacular, and then we went to a place outside of Amsterdam where they have old Dutch homes and buildings that they've made a village out of and had a real working windmill or two. And that was for Americans, that was like really cool. Well, <laughs> was, we don't have windmills. <laughs> I was heaven on earth. Yes. A little Dutch fake town. But uh, I, I, I do think that if people want to go to Holland, 
uh, the last two weeks of April, the first two weeks of May are the best weeks. So first, the weather in Holland, it always rains, except during those four weeks. So that's perfect. And then the tulips are out, which is just an amazing, uh, amazing uh, feat for the eye. And we have Queens or now King's Day during that time, which is a lot of fun too. So I, there was, and it happened when we were there for that meeting, because <laughs> I remember getting caught in a swarm of people with a child in a stroller and everyone but me was wearing orange. <laughs> And I was like, what is going on here? Um, so it was it was quite quite the international experience on that. Yeah, I must not trip. have prepared you too well for that <laughs> orange experience. <laughs> so so let's talk about international. And, and that's what is the World Small Animal Veterinary Association? Because I'm going to guess that our listeners who are animal lovers know about veterinarians, but they might not know about this organization. And since you were El Presidente, mm -hmm. uh, you can speak all about this. Yeah. So the WSAVA, World Small Animal Veterinary Association, is really an organization of organizations. So every country is a member of that organization. It's a global organization that comes up for the rights uh, for of veterinarians in general, veterinary professionals, but also comes up for the right for uh, animal lovers and animal owners. So anything that the WCVA does is really to help animals in need anywhere in the world. And so people should know about this group because if they love pets, then this is a group working to improve the quality and quantity of life for, for pets worldwide, actually. Yep, and it's it's it, so this is uh, the small animal version or companion animal, how we call it, and so anything that is pet-like is is part of our family. So then, how did Wow get started? I, I didn't know about it until someone alerted me that I might want to apply for the group. So where did Wow come from? I've actually never asked that question of anyone. Yeah, so so what WSAVA does is make guidelines. Uh, that, that It's a strong point for them. And what is a guideline? A guideline is trying to even out the knowledge all over the world. So you, we have pockets of knowledge. Like in the US, the knowledge is often really, really high. But there are countries in the world where the knowledge is not so high. So uh, WSAVA really helps with pulling out the knowledge from countries that have a lot of knowledge and then spreading it out over the world. And they do that through guideline uh, committees or groups. And we have guidelines on digestive disease and liver disease and on vaccinations and that sort of things. But we never had guidelines on tumor disease. And tumors are pretty common in pets. And uh, a long time ago, when I was still president, I, I you know, was talking with some, some people because we always ask, what do you need? You know, what do you need? And, and a lot of people said, we really need to have some guidelines and some help with uh, treating tumors in animals. So that's how the idea started. So I think that my one of my favorite uh, WSAVA groups is the nutrition group. They mm -hmm. have nutrition guidelines. And, and those are really useful guidelines for people like me who, although I'm a specialist, I'm a generalist when it comes to nutrition. And I refer to those guidelines a lot to help clients um, feed their pets better and take care of animals by providing good nutrition. So those guidelines are really good. 
the other thing that I think that WSAVA does really nicely is collaborate between groups. So I spoke at um, a WSAVA meeting in uh, Cape Town many years ago. Mm -hmm. And at that meeting, I shared a talk with a nutritionist and we talked about nutrition of cancer and she gave her points and I gave mine and we, we talked back and forth. So I think that that not only are there guidelines on particular areas within veterinary medicine, but I think that collaboration between um, working groups is a really important uh, feature of WSAVA's committees and working groups. Yeah, absolutely true. So that that that's one part. So everybody works together, but it's also countries working together. So there is. Uh, areas in the world that that have great knowledge about certain parts uh, of certain research points, like in 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 tumor, for instance, in Japan, for instance, there is a group that is very very well versed in 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 tumor knowledge and also in tumor therapy, uh, but they speak Japanese, and so it's sometimes difficult to interpret what what they're doing. And a global uh, organization like WSAVA brings everybody together, so that's why. It's so cool that you see in this committee that there's people from everywhere. So it's not only from the US, it's from everywhere. We have people from Latin America, from Asia, from Europe, and they are all working together to make a better life for your pet. Well, I think one of the best things about WOW is that the we have an Italian member, but he's actually working in Hong Kong. And then we have a, a member who is from the Ukraine, but she's currently working in Germany. So it, the committee actually has more perspectives on veterinary medicine ju than just the country they happen to be working in. That's correct. Because other countries are freer in the movement and, and practice of veterinarians than in the United States. But, you know, I can't change countries because nobody nobody would recognize my skill and of course i don't speak anything but english so i would be really in bad shape somewhere <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about oncology how would you get from being a veterinarian to being a specialty oncology surgeon veterinarian yeah, that takes a long time. So when you do your <laughs> veterinary studies, uh, obviously I had an interest there. Uh, then I did my internship at the university in America. So I did my veterinary studies in uh, in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Then I did a residency in surgery. Uh, so that that's how I became a veterinary specialist in surgery. And then I did a fellowship for a year at Colorado State University, which was the mecca at that time of oncology. And that's how I became a surgical oncologist. Um, and so I'm a fellow now for the American College of Veterinary Surgeons uh, in oncology. Um, and, and so it takes a lot of studying. And then, of course, I did my PhD, too, uh, when I went back to, uh, to Utrecht uh, in oncology. So... AMC has a surgery, surgery oncology fellow, uh, Katie Kennedy, mm -hmm. and it's it's great to have her around for managing some of these complicated tumor cases that we have. Tell the public that's listening, when would they want to seek out someone like you or Dr. Kennedy to be the person to do surgery on their pet? Yeah, I would say... Um in any complicated case. So a lot of the tumors, when you catch them early, there's a really good prognosis because a lot of the tumors that you can see on the outside, uh, they can be treated relatively easy 
uh, in the beginning. But when they get bigger, it gets more and more complicated. Or when they are located in difficult positions, it gets more complicated. In, imagine that a tumor located in the brain, it's much more difficult to treat that one than a tumor located on the outside of the leg, for instance. So depending on the location and how big the tumor it is, and sometimes also the characteristics of the tumor. So we always say we have good tumors, which are benign, and we have bad tumors, which are malignant. And malignant can be because they grow into tissue or they spread. And the more complicated the tumor is, I, I would say then you need to start talking not only with a surgical oncologist, so a person that's, that's specialized in surgery, but someone that's also specialized in medical oncology. We're talking about radiation oncology. So a lot of factors come in. And often you will find those people in, in bigger clinics or bigger organizations like AMC or uh, like universities. How many surgical oncology fellows are there these days? Oh, that's a good question. I would say probably 40, 50, I would guesstimate. I, I can probably calculate because there's there were, used to be one a year. Um, and uh, but I would I guesstimate 50. So so not um, not very many. And Wow has two. Wow has you and uh, Nick Bacon from Dr. Nick the Bacon, UK. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so we're we're very lucky uh, yeah. to have two. Wow, Wow is very very lucky. Um, the the Wow committee is brand new. We've had mm -hmm. three meetings, right? Yeah. And and so I, I don't. I just want to say to people that they, if we have any veterinarians listening out there pay attention because we're working on some things. I don't think we're ready to launch anything yet, given that the committee's really only been out there two months and a week because we had a first meeting where we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And now, now we kind of have a direction, but I think that we're going to have some terrific opportunities to provide uh, veterinarians with resources that they need to handle cancer better. Uh, I, I, I'm convinced that we're going to be successful in doing that. Oh, I totally agree. And we already have a website uh, and on the wsava.org uh, page, you can find us uh, under the committees. Um, what I like is on that website, everybody kind of highlighted the place that they normally look for information. So that is already there. Uh, so if you want more information about oncology as a veterinarian, you can find already 10 spots uh, that are really cool online uh, that that we normally go to too, and 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 uh, the Wow Group will bring out lots of cool stuff, and not only for veterinarians. The cool thing is we're also going to do that for pet owners. So we will help veterinarians to talk to you as a pet owner in a more clear and and concise way, and educated way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I Absolutely. think that that's that's really important. And so one of Wow's first things is that we have a series of seminars coming up. Um, WSAVA will be a virtual meeting uh, in November. So any veterinarian who thinks they have to travel to attend that meeting actually doesn't. Uh, they can simply do it from a Zoom box like we've been doing everything else. But hopefully in uh, 2022, then then we'll see each other in person in uh, in Lima, which is a great city. Uh, mm. I was in Lima a couple of years ago, and it's just fabulous. The food is to die for in Lima. Uh, okay, and those pisco sours are not bad either. Um, let's talk about cancer in pets. So we kind of talked about oncology and how one becomes a specialist, but 
you have a, you're the one with the PhD. I'm just a regular dog doctor. What oh, do you no. think? <laughs> what do you think? Why? Why are there so many pets with cancer now? I've been trying to stamp out cancer for my entire career, and I don't think I, I have I made any progress. Oh, you for me stand on a pedestal. You're so fantastic. Uh, so oh, when I hear you talk about yourself, I'm like, no, no, it's not true. But uh, no, I, I, you know, cancer is very, very common, not only in people, but also in pets. As a matter of fact, probably more common in people pets than in people, uh, especially dogs. And I think it has to do a little bit with the fact that we like to breed our animals. So normally uh, when you are a mixed breed, you have lots of genes that are okay, but the more you get into breeding and inbreeding, the gene pool decreases. And when your gene pool decreases, the chance of cancer might increase. I'm just saying might because it's not always the case. But we know certain breeds are, uh, you know, certain cancers are pretty common in certain breeds. Um, then the other thing is our pets get older. And, and we know that if your dog is uh, 10 plus, the chance that the dog will die from cancer is up to 50%, which I think is amazing. You know, uh, the older the dog gets, the more chance he has that he will get a cancer or uh, that, that, that he needs to be treated for cancer. In cats, it's a little less, but in cats, we know that if they get cancer, it most of the time is the not so nice kind. In dogs, it's 50-50 between good cancers and bad cancers. In cats, it's like 80 to 90% bad cancer. So if they get them, we better be early with treating because otherwise we might lose the fight. So it is a very common disease. I always say there's when a dog or a cat comes in your clinic uh, and it's older than 10 years, there's two chances. Uh, the most common is fleas and the second one is cancer. So, so that's interesting. We don't hardly ever see animals with fleas in New York City. It's just, you know, we don't have that much grass and <laughs> that kind of stuff. So Lucky fleas, you. I haven't seen a good flea in a long time. Um, before I came to AMC and I worked in a more suburban area, dogs were going fleas to be jumping off the dog and covering the table. And it, the other thing is the the new flea and tick stuff is so much better yeah, than the much better. dips and powder and all that that we had. You know, oh, that's that was terrible when I started first started as a veterinarian. We we really had a very hard time controlling fleas and ticks, but now. Much, much, much better. I yeah, so think. maybe I should change this. So it's not fleas that's number one, but it's cancer that's number one. I, well, I mean, I suspect that in places where dogs are outside more and people have yard and grass and all that kind of stuff, I think that there are um, there probably are plenty of fleas, but uh -huh. certainly not here in New York City. Um, so one of the treatment options, and you know, if we we quote our beloved. Uh, mentor, Dr. Withrow, um, surgery is, in his mind, the most important treatment for cancer and the only one that has a chance to cure anything. He, he might be wrong on that point, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it to him because we love him. Uh, so in addition to surgery, then other treatments for cancer might be what? For oh, there's there's so many treatments. And it, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question because we 
reflect a lot what they do in human medicine too. So like, like I said, there is now chemotherapy, which is drugs that you inject uh, into most of the time the blood vessels that can kill cancer. You have radiation therapy, which is you use radiation to kill tumor cells. We have immunotherapy where, you know, antibodies kill tumor cells. And there's so many different ways that you can do it. As a matter of fact, there probably are, are more ways to kill tumor cells than we even think about right now. And most of those techniques are available for, uh, for dogs and cats and, and other pets too. Now, just to expand a little bit, the chemotherapy is not only injected. There are um, oral chemotherapy agents in, that come as pills that sometimes sure. we give, sometimes the pet owner gives, and, and a new one approved uh, quite recently, actually. Um, I have not had an opportunity to use it, so I can't comment on it, but it's a treatment for lymphoma. And of course, um, always lymphoma is an important disease that we treat with chemotherapy. So always good to have a new drug in that list of uh, therapies that we have. And I stand so corrected, but that's what you get when you talk with an internal medicine specialist. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you that clients really, pet owners really like the idea of giving their pet a pill. Um, they are that somehow to them is better. And mm -hmm. I just, if pet owners out there, if your oncologist for your pet recommends injectable chemo, they're doing it for a reason and they're not withholding a pill that you think might be better because they aren't always. So I want to shift a minute and just ask you how you got from university professor at the University of Utrecht to working for a pet food company in the United States. Uh, somehow that doesn't seem very linear to me. <laughs> so it, it, it's pretty simple. I, I like to look at life in five-year plans. So every five year I decide, do I like what I'm doing and what could I do better to, to learn more? And uh, I was in Utrecht as a full professor. I loved what I did, was doing there. But I, my five-year point came up and I said, what would I like to do? And I always wanted to live in America. I did that when I was, of course, a young student. I always wanted to go back. And this was a unique opportunity and it's a great company. And, uh, and it learned me a lot about business. That was the only part that I didn't grasp as well when, uh, when I was in academics. And I love it. So it was a, it was a good decision. Uh, well, and, and, you know, we're happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's great <laughs> so, to be back. Um, you know, everybody knows that I have a real soft spot for cats, especially kittens, and there's they're blessedly napping and not causing a ruckus at this point, or we'd hear things <laughs> crashing around in the background. But you have a couple of cat um, directions yourself, meaning that you and I spent the day touring cat cafes in New York uh, way before the pandemic started. You got a minute to talk about your yes. cat podcasts. Yes. So I have two pet podcasts. One is called the Per Podcast. You can find more information at perpodcast.net. And it's for veneer professionals or owners that are have a little bit higher level of uh, understanding of uh, veneer 
topics, but we also have an owner podcast, which is called the Cat Cafe Podcast. It's catcafepodcast.net. And that's specifically for owners. And uh, and we talk about cats. I love cats. I'm really allergic to them, so I cannot have a cat myself, but I just compensate it by talking about it all the time. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and, and so, and, and, and you know, I, I love cat cafes. We went to two in New York. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's what I do when I travel. Okay, so what's your next cat cafe you're going to? I want to go to the one in uh, Singapore. Oh, that sounds terrific. So thank you. Thank you to my special guest today, Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. It was such fun having you here on Ask the Vet on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. And now we'll take a break. And when we come back, the animal news. We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars. Welcome back to Ask the Vet. Now, we're going to take a look at animal news headlines in a minute. But first, I want to give that phone number so you can call our hotline, leave a voicemail, and I can answer your animal questions on next month's show. That number, 866-993-8267. It's time for Animal Headlines, the biggest animal news from across the world. Our first animal news headline comes from Money Magazine this month. There's a great article about pet insurance. What does pet insurance cover is the title. It's interactive and chock full of information resources for anybody thinking about getting pet insurance. And everybody should be thinking about getting pet insurance for their pet. You can't predict what's gonna happen um, and you need to be prepared. This guide actually breaks down what is and isn't covered by most pet insurance policies, what kinds of pet insurance there are, and how pet insurance companies work. It also gives uh, tips on which companies offer the best insurance cover coverage options and Money Magazine's top pet insurance picks for 2021. You can also use the map to find available pet insurance in your state because every company doesn't cover in every state in the United States. So just Google Money Magazine and Pet Insurance for their June 19th article, What Does Pet Insurance Cover? And if you want more information, the Animal Medical Center's brochure, Pet Insurance Frequently Asked Questions, can be downloaded on our website. Just go to the Pet Health Library at www.amcny.org and click on the tab Insurance. Our second news story today comes from USA Today, and it's a wonderful story about Chunk, a sweet golden retriever who was rescued from a bay in New Jersey after going missing for two weeks. Now the backstory. Zim Zangara was going fishing and brought Chunk along on his boat. And while Jim was talking with another boater, Chunk climbed out of the boat and went running into a woodsy marsh area. Over the next two weeks, Jim and his family waited and hoped for a miracle, hoping that Chunk would come back, while the community's social media campaign gave them hope and encouragement that Chunk was still alive. And then one day, a man out fishing in New Jersey's Barnegat Bay spotted Chunk in the water, swimming. He was swimming in a very dangerous area of the bay, right in the middle of the thoroughfare where all boats go through coming and going into the bay. 
The fisherman tried desperately to get Chunk into his boat, but it was too difficult, and he alerted the Marine police who arrived and brought Chunk to safety. Chunk, who, as you might guess, was overweight before he disappeared, lost about 20 pounds during his two-week adventure. Happily, Chunk is safe, doing well, and back home with his family where he belongs. But if you want more on this incredible story, just Google Chunk the Golden Retriever. Our last story is about new animals, which you would say, well, don't we know all the animals that live on our planet? It seems like we should, but we don't. Every year, researchers find hundreds of new species of animals, along with thousands of new species of insects. And now, Discover Magazine is unveiling some of these new animals in a fascinating article, New Animals Discovered in 2021 So Far. There's information and photos about the world's tiniest lizard, a new type of octopus called the Deep Sea Dumbo, the Emperor Dumbo Octopus, an ant named with the help of a rock musician, and the bright orange bat, just to name a few. If you're looking to see pictures and hear more about these animals, you only need Google Discover Magazine and New Animals in 2021. Just as a reminder, you can call us toll-free and leave a message on our voicemail here at Ask Savet, and we will answer your questions on next month's show. The phone number to call and leave your voicemail message is 866-993-8267. And next, I'm going to take some of those listener calls from last month. Our first listener call today comes from Jane in Pennsylvania. Jane in Pennsylvania. My question is, our son has a four-year-old Labradoodle with some other breed mixed in. His body is long, but the legs are too short in proportion to the size of the body. He weighs around 35, 40 pounds, great personality. Would Dr. Ann consider supplementing with Dasaquin? and omega-3 oil at this early age of four years. Thank you. So this sounds like a real cutie patootie dog. Sounds like it's a doodle mixed with a basset or maybe a wiener dog, long and low. Um, One thing to keep in mind about these long and low dogs is they are what we call chondrodystrophic because they are kind of an abnormal body shape, long bodies with short legs. And they're actually prone to back problems, much more so than I would say they're prone to arthritis. And so these dogs always watch and pay attention for any signs of back pain or wobbliness in the hind legs, because that would indicate a potential back problem, which is much more common in long, low dogs than arthritis. Uh, Jane's question is about omega-3 fatty acids and a joint supplement called Dazequin. It mostly contains uh, chondroitin sulfate um, and other things to help your joints work better. I can't comment on whether or not these products are right for Jane's dog because I can only comment on recommending medications for animals that I have actually seen in person. But omega-3 fatty acids and joint supplements like Dazequin are very safe and they do help a lot of patients. But really this question is much more for Jane's 
son's dog's veterinarian than it is for me. A couple other important things about managing dogs that potentially have back problems or arthritis. Always keep the dog in tip-top physical shape, and that means not overweight. For most people, overweight dogs look normal to them because so many dogs in the United States are overweight. And if the dog is actually a good weight, people are worried their dog is too thin. So when this dog goes to the veterinarian to talk about uh, whether or not omega-3 fatty acids and daziquin are right for it, the other question to ask a veterinarian is, how am I doing on keeping this dog in an ideal body condition? Because we know that that will decrease arthritis and back problems and make that dog live longer. And since Jane sounds smitten with that dog, seems like we need to have him around a long time. Thanks so much, Jane, and good luck with the doodle. Our next caller is from uh, across our northern border. We've got Julia from Ontario. I have a, um, a sheep doodle that eats everything. It eats goose poop, it eats sticks, it eats bugs, it eats and I'm, I can't keep up on it. And I'm not sure if it's gonna be sick, especially the goose poop, and not sure how to get it to stop eating every single thing, even other dogs' hair it eats. Thank you. So this sounds like, uh, Julia doesn't say how old this dog is, but it sounds like a typical puppy. And they often will not be so mouthy as they mature. One thing to consider is a muzzle. Um, especially when the dog is outdoors or unsupervised, because that's where dogs can pick up chicken bones on the street that are a problem or eat rocks in the woods. Um, and our internal medicine staff has been very busy lately taking rocks and socks and toys and all kinds of stuff out of animals that have eaten it. Ooh, tennis balls has been another big one that dogs are eating. So um, a muzzle, and I don't mean like a muzzle to keep a dog from biting. I mean a basket muzzle, which the dog can pant, drink water. It just can't eat things wearing a basket muzzle. Interestingly, I uh, wrote a blog about muzzles very recently. And so if you go to our website and just type muzzle into the search bar, you can read the blog I wrote about uses for muzzles and suggestions for a variety of different muzzles for different situations, because there's an astounding array of muzzles out there. The other thing to think about is to protect this dog when you're not with it. And I would suggest crate training for that purpose, because if you teach the dog to stay in a crate while you're away, then it cannot chew on the electric cords and get electric burns in its mouth from doing that. It can't chew and swallow small toys, or it can't get in the laundry basket and swallow socks and other pieces of clothing. So uh, crate training will help to protect this dog. And finally, good uh, good training. One of the commands if you take your dog to obedience school is the leave it command. And if you teach your dog to leave it, then when it's outside or in the house and it picks up something that it could swallow and have it cause some sort of intestinal blockage, the leave it command helps you avoid that. If this dog swallows something that gets stuck, you would expect to see a dog who's quite ill vomiting everything it eats, not even being able to keep water down. And so if Julia and her family notice this about their dog, 
then they should go to an emergency room or their regular veterinarian immediately. Just knowing the history that this dog is a garbage hound suggests that it might have an obstruction if it's vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. So good luck to Julia with this little challenging pooch, but it's a, it's a challenge that you can surmount. Next, we have a cat question from Marion, Massachusetts. I have a question about my long-haired cat. She's about 15, and I get her groomed. And this year, the groomer asked if I want to shave her for the hot weather. Um, I never have before, and she seems to be fine, but I was wondering if it's better to shave a long-haired cat, not shave, but I guess cut down, um, in the summer months. Thank you. So the typical haircut for a long-haired cat in the summer, if you're going to clip the hair, it's called a lion cut. And they leave them with a big ruff of fur around their face and neck and on their paws and on their tail. And they look like a little lion. And they're actually really darn cute. But if the cat hasn't been shaved before and is five, six, seven years old, I don't really know that cats have to be shaved in the summer. One of my patients recently got clipped in the spring, but she had been very sick over the winter and not grooming herself. And the easiest way to get rid of all the mats and hair tangles that she developed when she was sick and not grooming was actually to, to clip her into a lion cut. She seemed to be pretty happy with that cut. And then when her hair grew back, she really looked fabulous because she was feeling better. But I don't think it's a necessity to clip a cat back, but there are some reasons where we might clip a cat to get rid of mats, or if a cat's had a lot of diarrhea and has kind of poopy around their behind, then we might clip those cats too. Not at all necessary. Um, it's the medical situation and your personal preference. Thanks, Mary, for that good question. And finally, we have a question about crate training. Hi, I am curious about putting animals in crates. I never do it. I think it's mean. I just wondered what the vet's thoughts were on that. Thanks. So I think that we all worry about crate training because we kind of think about it as putting a dog in dog jail or putting your cat in cat jail. And, and we really associate negative things with crating. If you start early and make crating your dog a positive thing for those dogs, then it's not putting them in dog jail. It's actually keeping them safe. Like I described for Julia's dog who is eating everything and at risk of getting something stuck in it. But the key is to make crate training a positive thing and start when you first get your dog and when they've played and need a little nap or a break, put them in the crate. Um, and the other thing one of my friends has done is she feeds her dogs in the crate. So the dogs think going into the crate is a good deal because they're pretty sure that it's going to be dinner time when they get put in their crates. That also is a really good strategy because now my client, one of the dogs has to eat a special prescription diet and that dog is a slow eater. And the other dog is a fast eater and would eat all of her food and then come over and take the sick dog's food too. So teaching your dog to go in the crate and eat in the crate 
is another way to control portion in an overweight situation or to make sure that the sick dog gets its special diet that it needs to get well. Crate training keeps your dog safe when you're not at home to watch it. And think about it. You have a favorite chair in the living room or a favorite recliner in the family room, or maybe you just like to work quietly at your desk in your little office. The crate is the same thing for a dog. It's their safe and happy place. And we shouldn't think of it negatively as putting them in dog jail. We should think of them as them having a place that's theirs, that's safe, and they feel comfortable. So I think crate training is a fabulous thing to do. And thanks so much to the caller. I wish you'd identified yourself so I could thank you personally. But thank you for calling. And for those of you out there listening today, just a reminder, you can call us toll free and leave a message to have your questions answered on next month's show. The phone number to do that is 866-993-8267. And when we come back from the break, I'll talk about news from the Animal Medical Center and the USDAN Institute. We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars. Welcome back to Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. The Animal Medical Center, where I'm broadcasting from today and where I work, was founded in 1910 and was a temporary clinic to help those animals whose owners couldn't afford veterinary medical care. Today, AMC still has the same mission, but we have over 120 veterinarians working together across 20 specialties and specialty services. Each year, AMC's veterinarians manage 56,000 individual patient visits. Simply stated, that's 160 pets through our doors each day. AMC's USDAN Institute for Animal Health Education is a leading provider of pet health information. The Institute presents monthly virtual pet health events, distributes a weekly pet health newsletter, and features an online user-friendly pet health library from the experts here at AMC. All the USDAN events are posted online uh, at our website, www.amcny.org. And our recent pet health event, Arthritis in Pets, tra and Travel Safety, and a conversation with Martha Teichner, author of the New York Times bestseller, When Harry Met Minnie, A True Story of Love and Friendship, which is the first of many AMC's Animal Book Lovers Club. And that all of those three events are archived on our website. And if you missed them live, you can watch them recorded. Or if you watched them live and loved them, you can watch them again. I especially enjoyed um, When Harry Met Minnie. That was a really fun evening. The upcoming Used uh, Dan event is going to be me talking about Medical Mythbusters, the canine edition. Uh, last year, I did Medical Mythbusters, the feline edition. So this will be all about dogs and nothing about cats. We're also having a vet camp for kids online. So if your kid can't go to sleepaway camp, they can certainly do online vet camp at AMC. And these are all on the Usedan events page at AMC. 
I'd like to thank my special guest, Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and thanks to all the listeners and everybody who called in with great question for today's Ask the Vet program. A special thanks to everyone who's downloaded the Ask the Vet podcast. And don't forget, next month, call us and you can have your question answered live on the show. Um, all you have to do is leave us a voicemail at 866 993 8267. Check out AMC on social media at Facebook, where the Animal Medical Center, Twitter and Instagram at AMCNY. And I'll be back next month for the next Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. Thank you, everybody, and have a great week.